um, we've been working through the book of Colossians, uh, verse by verse. And we just got into chapter two. And as I was preparing to work through chapter two, starting in verse four, um, I recognize that there's a, an important transition that's happening here in Paul's letter. Um, and what that transition is, is that in chapters two and three, there is a, a more concerted focus on a doctrine that's known as union with Christ, but how we're united with him. Um, it's in all of Paul's letters, uh, but here in chapters two and three of Colossians, it really is front and center. And so I thought it would be very important for us this Lord's Day um, to slow down a little bit and understand exactly the richness of this doctrine, because it's going to help us then understand the richness of what God put in Paul's heart to write to us in chapters two and three. Um, union with Christ is probably one of the most precious doctrines we can have as believers that we don't understand. Um, but it is a, it is a treasure chest of, of truth, of comfort and of devotion. And the deeper we understand union with Christ, the more we're going to be able to worship him uh, for who he is in all his, in his greatness. So I want us to look first, just understand how, how much it's in Colossians, and you may not even realize it, right? So we're going to just read some verses in Colossians, and I've, I'll emphasize that union part. So we see this in chapter 1, verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Chapter 1, verse 16, for in him all things were created. Again, verse 19, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 22, but now he has reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him, holy and blameless beyond reproach. So in the body of Christ. Then you go to chapter two, verse three, in whom, speaking of Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse six, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Verse seven, having been firmly rooted and being built up in him. Verse nine, for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10, and in him you have been filled, who is the head over all rule and authority. Verse 11, in whom you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 15, having disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them in him. Chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow slave in the Lord. And then verse 17. And say to 
Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. So you see, there's a lot of in him union with Christ language in the book of Colossians. And you'll see that the vast, the, 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 the vast majority of it's in chapter two. Um, chapter two is an amazing chapter, which we're going to see what it means for us to be alive, to be born again, to be saved, sanctified in Christ. Um, and so I really want us to understand this doctrine because I don't think we spend enough time. Charles Spurgeon, I love the way he captured this. Charles Spurgeon said, there is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. And so I'm really hoping that at the end of this morning, God, by his Holy Spirit, will, will open our eyes, that we'll have a richer understanding of our union with Christ, what it means, and how it should animate the way we live. Um, we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures. So write them down if you can't go and get to them all. Um, there's so many scriptures that I am probably just going to email these notes out to everybody as well, because these are verses that you're really going to want to circle back around and cross-reference and read and study. Um, I promise you that really studying this doctrine is the key to joy in this life. Uh, because the more we see our connection to Christ, how we are really in Christ and he's in us, the more we will be able to have joy no matter what the circumstances are. Um, so with that if you were going to put a, a, a big idea, a proposition for our, our, our morning, it's this. The more we understand our union with Christ, the greater heavenly happiness we will have in our lives. And I positioned it that way intentionally. Uh, the more we understand our union with Christ, the greater heavenly happiness we'll have in our lives. Because the happiness that, that where we say oftentimes joy that a believer has is a supernatural happiness, a supernatural joy that comes from heaven itself, because that is where God dwells. Um, so here's our first point. As it talks about union with Christ, union with Christ is a covenantal relationship. Right? It is a covenantal relationship. And what we mean by that is that it is a personal, intimate relationship that we have entered into with God that is not available to everybody. We enter into this covenant relationship uh, by faith in Christ, which we'll see in a little bit later. But let me show you the language that's used. So the first place we want to look is Isaiah chapter 54. And in Isaiah 54, verses 5 through 8, it says this. For your husband is your maker, whose name is Yahweh of hosts. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For Yahweh has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In a flood of fury I hide my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says Yahweh, your Redeemer." The reason I chose that passage is because here we see that the relationship that Israel had with Yahweh was one that the imagery of marriage is used, right? 
the union that Israel had with uh, Yahweh is used with marital imagery. And we know in Genesis chapter 2 uh, that Adam says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Jesus picks up on this, what, may, what God has put together, let no man separate. This is letting us know that our union with God, with Yahweh, is so is so rich and so sure that even though there may be periods of discipline and from the Lord, this covenant relationship is an unbreakable one. And that we have always, it has always been God's intention to be in covenantal relationship with his people. And so this in the old Testament is a picture of the union with Christ that we have in the new Testament. And so just to really make sure that we pick up on that and see Jesus actually picks up this same language. So if you were to turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five. In Ephesians chapter five, I want us to look at verses 31 through 32. For this reason, A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. We are so united to the Lord Jesus Christ that it's as if he is our husband and we are his bride. What we saw in Isaiah 54 is being echoed here again, but in its perfect fulfillment in Christ. And it is a deep and personal relationship. Marriage, in many ways, you can say, is the closest relationship one person can have with another person here on earth. But it's really just a shadow of the great relationship that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has with him. We are our union with Christ means we we can say we are wedded to Christ. And so I really want us to understand that because this has implications. When we meditate on what it means to be united to Christ, that we have union with Christ, it means that we're not united to an idea. Right? Christ isn't an idea that you have. You're not united to an ethic. You're not, really, you're not united to some belief system simply. Union with Christ doesn't, isn't a feeling. Union with Christ isn't just an illustration or a metaphor. Union with Christ means that you and I are truly and really united in a covenant relationship with the one true and living God. Through God, the son, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Your relationship, your union with Christ is truer than any relationship you have here on earth. So I want you to think about the closest relationships you have in kind of the the union that is there. As close and as real as that is, your union with Christ is actually truer, more real. We may not feel that way, but that's a lack of of, of reflection, of meditation, of prayer, and of, of, of apprehension of our hearts to that. The reason we don't feel that has nothing to do on God's end, but everything to do on our end. It is the, our union with Christ is the truest relationship we have. As a matter of fact, we can say that our union with Christ is what actually makes all our other relationships by which we're united possible. 
especially as followers of Christ who've been given the Holy Spirit, the way you're able to be united, we're able to be united to one another as a church flows from the fact that we're united with Christ. If we were not united in Christ, we would have no hope to truly be united as a church. And that's important for us to realize, especially as we think about churches and people say, well, we don't feel close. There's, you know, we, everybody's nice, but we don't feel like it's a family. I would, I would go as far to say probably what the church then is not doing is the church collectively isn't going deeper into what it means to be united in Christ as a church. When your union with Christ is weak, all your other relationships in the church are weak. But when a church is strong in their union with Christ, they'll be strong in their union with one another. So the greatest need isn't programs. The greatest need isn't activities or fellowship. The greatest need is for men and women, children, teens to center around the Lord Jesus Christ, to lift up their minds, their hearts, their eyes to him, to worship him collectively because they're united to him. And in so doing, they'll be united to one another. So that was our first point. I wanted us to see that our union with Christ is a, is a covenantal relationship. Now, our second point is that there's three types of unions with Christ we have. So we're going to geek out a little bit here on some theology, just to be honest. Um, and I'm going to try not to use crazy theological terms that can get lost and forgotten. So... Our first union with Christ is a union from all eternity. So this is one of these truths that you've read before. You've heard, but if you really take a moment and ponder it, your brain will start to just split in half because it's so impossible to wrap, wrap around. So listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Before God created anything. Our brains already can't go there. It's beyond us. But before God created anything, when he simply existed in perfect, joyful, happy fellowship in the Trinity... He had already chosen us to be his covenant people in Christ. You existed in the mind of God as his son or daughter before he made anything. You were united to Christ in the mind of the Lord before time existed. Before the Adam was made. But first, before the first flash of light, you were united to Christ in eternity past. If you ever struggle with, does the Lord love me? You existed in the heart of Christ before anything was made. He had united you to himself in eternity past. And he did it simply out of his good pleasure. You were united with Christ in eternity past, not because he looked down the corridors of time and said, man, that person is going to make some really good choices. They're really going to see that they need some spiritual reform in their life. They're going to pick up a Bible, walk an aisle, raise a hand. I know they're going to exercise faith 
you know, a million years from now. So yeah, here in eternity past, no, that wasn't it. From eternity past, God already knew that man, every man and woman would be in rebellion against him. He chose you in Christ, united you to Christ in eternity past, simply out of his good pleasure. It was the truest act of love because it was a, it, it was a choosing that wasn't based on anything that was meritorious. How often can we say that we choose to unite ourselves to somebody when there is nothing within them that would want us to unite to them? And this is exactly what he did from eternity past. He united us in Christ to himself. That is a beautiful truth that we've been united to Christ from all eternity. Secondly, we've been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. And so in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life, which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So this is another one of these truths that we have to understand is beyond us in a way that we can't fully understand. We were present. We were united with Christ in his death and his resurrection where he was victorious over sin and death. We see this in baptism. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We were united with him in his death as Jesus hung on the cross and the wrath of the father was poured upon him. There is a sense spiritually in which all of those who would come to faith in Christ were united with him at that moment and their sin was being put to death. And when he was buried in three days in the tomb and then rose victorious and the stone was rolled away and he proclaimed his victory over sin and death, there is a sense that is true that we were united with him in that victorious moment. And that is why we can be free from sin, why we can be overcome death, why we can have life eternal because the victory he purchased in the means by which he purchased, we were there with him, united to him. That means that the old you, the old me, was killed at Calvary. It was put to death. And the new you, the new me, the new heart, the new nature we have, is Christ himself living in us by the Holy Spirit. This is our new true self. Think about that. Christ, imagine you say that out loud. Christ lives in me. The Holy Spirit lives in me. That is a statement that sounds ridiculous. How could God live in man? Why would God live in man? What well, says here in 220? who loved me and gave himself up for me because God has chosen to set his love on you. And because God has chosen to set his love on you, he has put his spirit within you and united you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's out of that truth that our identity has to be born. Who are you? I am a blood bought son of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our identity. 
Our identity is wrapped up in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know who I am? Go read Galatians 2.20. That should be it. For I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is who, that is everything you need to know about me is in that verse. Everything you need to know about you is in that verse. You have been united to Christ in his death and resurrection. That is one of those verses, commit to heart, memorize it, write it in, in dry erase marker on the mirror in the bathroom, do whatever it is. But the more you, we reflect on that, the more our identity will be rooted in what it ought to be rooted in. Which brings us to our third type of union. We are united to Christ by being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So look at Galatia. Uh, we go back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 17. I'm sorry, Galatians 127. I'm sorry. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. You were united to Christ in eternity past. You were united to Christ at Calvary and at the resurrection. And you're united to Christ here and now by his living in you by his Holy Spirit. Past, present, future. It's all union with Christ. And as the Spirit of God lives in us and dwells us, he directs us. He sanctifies us. He admonishes us. He encourages us. It is a true living covenantal relationship. Our union with Christ is not at a standstill. It is a constant motion. It is a real relationship. You are united to him, and therefore you are in fellowship with him every, every minute of every day, or you ought to be. The lack of experiential union with Christ is because we are not leaning into these realities. Listen to what it says in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. A little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he is telling us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the father. So they were saying, what is that? He says a little while. We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they were wishing to question him. He said to them, are you deliberating about this? That I said a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. He keeps going on there. What he's unpacking, I'm sorry. Um, what he's going on there is that even though Christ is gone, he will return. Now, I've had people in the past wonder or ask, and I, I've asked myself, well, if Christ has ascended, like, I just wish he was here. I wish I could see him. If I could just see him, if I could just sit across the table from him and talk to him, my, my, my walk with Jesus 
would be so much stronger. My fight against sin would be so much more victorious. But that's not true. That's not true because he has given us himself already. Though bodily he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he is still here present with us. So um, John 14, verses 16 and 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate that he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. One of the most amazing truths is that every follower of Jesus all around the world, right here, right now, is filled and indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. And therefore, we are all united to Christ right now. There is a a, a man and a woman somewhere in Afghanistan that has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are united to him right here, right now, just as you are. That's amazing. And that's only possible because the spirit of God that Christ has given us. In the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us not by works, which he did in righteousness, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. We're united to Christ because the spirit of God is in us and it's renewing. He's renewing us. He's regenerated us. So let's, what does that mean? It means that we need to spend time and slow down and think about these things. Because if we've been indwell, if we've been united to Christ from eternity past, If we've been united with Christ at his death and resurrection, if we are united with Christ presently here by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that only means one thing. It means all of life is about Jesus. All of life is about Jesus. Imagine saying you love someone, that you're married to someone, that they live with you, that the two flesh are one, and then saying, but I'm going to do me and ignore you most of the week. It would speak, it would say, it would really show you don't prize that union. But if we are united to Christ in this way, then our entire lives must be a constant striving to honor, love, and enjoy him by our union. Our entire life must be wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the reason most of our relationships on this side of eternity are struggling as they are is because we are not finding our satisfaction in our union with Christ. When you are you, when you really begin to apprehend that you have been united to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are united to the Lord Jesus Christ and can experience him, it changes the way you go about the unions you have with other people. When you don't prize the union you have with Christ, you make your other relationships that you're united functional saviors. And you begin to expect them to satisfy and fulfill you that in a way that can only be done by Jesus Christ and leaning into the union you have with him by faith. This is why union with Christ is really the means to true heavenly happiness on this side of eternity. It changes things. It's a game changer completely. You're having a hard time with a coworker, right? 
we're good friends. What's going on? We're arguing. There's a dissatisfaction leaning to your union with Christ. And then it will give you love and patience for that person. You're having marital struggles at home. Quit expecting your spouse to be Jesus. And lean into the fact that you have union with Christ. And that union with Christ then will then animate the way you interact with your spouse. Siblings, same thing. Friends, same thing. Every relationship is a form of a union we have with a person. The way we walk faithfully in those unions is by prizing, strengthening our understanding and leaning into the union we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. That has been from eternity past, that has been at the cross and the empty tomb, and that is right here, right now by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is powerful stuff. Powerful stuff, church. I was, I was getting rocked by this as I was preparing this week. I was like, oh my gosh. I have not, I have not really done the work with this that I need to do at the heart level. I have at the head level, great, but it's not doing the heart level business. Okay, this brings us to our next point. This union with Christ is received by faith. You can't purchase it. You can't earn it. It's received. That means if it's received by faith, it's given to us by someone else, which is God. And it all starts with one of the most familiar verses we've all heard. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Some translations say his one and only son. Think about this. For God so loved the world, that's meaning... Not everybody in the world, but every tribe, nation, and tongue, and not just the Jews, that he gave his only begotten son, an act of love and sacrifice given, that, who, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. When we trust in what God has done for us in his son, we then receive this covenantal relationship. We are brought into a covenantal relationship, united to Christ. By faith. And the word love is important here because the word love reminds us that union with Christ is not a transaction, but it's an entering into a relationship. It's not transactional, right? Putting our faith in Christ isn't signing a contract on life on fire insurance so you don't burn. Putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is to enter into a relationship that has been purchased by blood through, because of his love. And so that's what we trust in. That's what we put our faith in. That's what we hope in. God has loved his people. God has loved every single person who will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ before the foundations of the world. And when we respond by faith in Christ, that relationship is formed. That union is formed at that point. We enter into it. And again, this is a beautiful thing because it reminds us that union with Christ, the love of God we receive through Christ, is not for everybody. It, some people get upset about this, but God does not love everybody the same. God has a general love for his creation, but God's covenantal redeeming, sanctifying love is simply for those who trust in his son. That saving love is not for everybody. This is why it says, Jesus says, um, 
that you are of your father, the devil, because not everybody is a child of God. If everybody was a child of God, we would never need to hear about the words of adoption, spiritual adoption in our Bibles, but we do. The reason we hear the term that we've been adopted into the family of God is because everybody naturally is an enemy of God, not a child of God. And so by faith in Christ is how we have union with him. And this has to affect every part of our life. I know I mentioned that earlier that all of life is Christ, but we do really, I do a really good job of giving lip service to that. My whole life is about Jesus until somebody asks me like, what's going on here? And I'm like, get out of my business. No, like everything's about Jesus in my life. It must be, that must be the end to which I'm striving. We must hold each other accountable to that because if the Lord Jesus Christ is living in me by his Holy spirit, how dare I live in a way that'd be grievous to him. Think about how often we live in a manner that we, we think in a manner, we desire in a manner that we would never do around people that we in our life. And yet the spirit of God who lives in us, we have no problem grieving him regularly. No, it has to change and affect every aspect of life. So Galatians chapter five, verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Okay, so how do we then lean into? How do we really live out union with Christ? You walk by the Spirit. How dependent are you on the Holy Spirit in, every, in the day-to-day? How often are you in a tough situation? Maybe you're in a tough meeting at work. And you don't know what to say, and things are going in a way that's upsetting you or, or hurting you or wounding your ego, your pride. How often are you at that moment saying, Holy Spirit, guide me, direct me, govern me, humble me? How often are you walking by the Spirit, depending on the Spirit, crying out to the Spirit? This is how we truly experience our union with Christ, by a radical dependence Upon the Holy Spirit, who then takes the Holy Word of God and applies it to our hearts. Again, union with Christ is experienced to the degree that we know and submit to the Word of God and the Spirit of God in our lives. This is why people who have who people who do not prioritize time with God and His Word typically struggle the most with feeling God's presence in their lives. If your life feels dry, where is God right now? He's not answering. He's just leaving me in this rut. Does he even care? Are you prioritizing his time and his word at the heart level? And again, not just the head level, not just checking boxes level. And are you depending upon the Holy Spirit to govern everything? This is crucial because union with Christ also means that if we're united to him and he's Lord, he has the say. I've heard lots of people say, I think I'm doing pretty good with Jesus. But then you take inventory of their lives and you're like, well, have you really asked Jesus if these are things he would be personally engaged in if he was here? No. You, we, we have to make sure that we don't give ourselves a false assurance. Union with Christ means we're governed by him. We're tethered to him. 
Where he goes, we go. What he does, we does. His desires must be our desires. Great example. Um, there was a season in my life early on where I backslid pretty hard. I've shared that story. But for a while there, I thought I was doing all right. I'm good. I was reading my Bible. I was gathering knowledge of the scriptures. I was witnessing to people. And yet I was living like the devil. I was at the bars getting drunk. I had crude humor and language. But I was checking the right boxes as far as things to do. But that's not union because union entails relationship. So I was living in a way that didn't please Christ, even though I was doing the right things for Christ. Right. To, to pick up the marriage example, imagine a husband who cleaned the house all the time, did the dishes, did all those good things, but totally ignored his wife and did things, whatever he wanted to do outside of those certain household disciplines. It wouldn't profit anything because there's no, it's not being done in love. If we're united to him and we are, every aspect of our life is in submission to him. That's what that means. We walk by the spirit. This next point I, I get really excited about. We also experience our union with Christ by partaking of the sacraments. So I want you to, we are, another way to say, we deepen our union with Christ through baptism and the Lord's Supper. So in Matthew 28, 19 on baptism, Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, it says, Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Or Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. In baptism, what is being depicted outwardly is what has taken place inwardly, right? In baptism, we're showing that we have trusted with Christ and that we have passed from death to life. When we are put under, it's the burial. We've been buried with him. When we come out of the water, we're raised up with him. In baptism, we are identifying ourselves publicly with the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> in baptism, we say, I've died, and now Christ is my identity. It's amazing. In the New Testament, baptism happened really quickly, right? I think of the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Philip opens it up to him, opens up the word. He's like, oh, my gosh, Jesus is Messiah. Boom, we're going to the water. Um, it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And I, I know some of you online right now have not been baptized. 
And um, we're going to find ways to make that available, but I'm just going to encourage you. There are lots of, of, of legitimate concerns, right? I'm not a public speaker. I don't like in front of crowd. I get that. I truly do. So let's have conversations because the important thing is to publicly identify yourself with Jesus. And um, yeah, we'll talk about that. Is You don't need to go up there and, and wax eloquently and give a big speech. It's, it, but I promise you that your baptism is something the older you get, the more you look back up. And you will, yeah, you will be glad you did it sooner than later. Um, but baptism is, is one of those ways that our union with Christ is made more real. Secondly is the Lord's Supper. And I get excited about this one because we do it every week. Um, I'm a big uh, fan and proponent in, of weekly communion. And so listen to what it says. In Ma- Let's read some of these passages. Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28. Matthew 26, 26 through 28. Now, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it. And giving it to the disciples, he said, take it, or take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then we have 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Chapter later in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul picks up again on this theme in verses 23 through 29. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Interesting part here, though. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But a man must test himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he eats and drinks, eats and drinks a judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Each week, as we, we take the bread and we take the cup and we partake, our union with Christ is being reaffirmed publicly, openly. That's what communion means. We are communing with Jesus This is why Paul gives that warning that how dare we just flippantly march in, march up to the Lord's table and have this meal without making sure that inwardly we haven't done what we need to do so that we take it in a worthy manner. Right. If I was invited to have a a dinner with any uh, dignitary, right, even the president, despite what you think about him, I'm going to make sure that I present myself in the best way possible. And here, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior of my soul, the one in whom I'll be united to forever, the one in whom all glory, beauty, love, and truth 
abides, invites me regularly, weekly to come to the table, and I must do so in a worthy manner because I'm united to him. In baptism, I mean, at the Lord's Supper, we are actually participating in a sense in who he is and what he's done. That doesn't mean we're not taking the Roman Catholic position saying that it actually changes into the body and blood of Christ because it doesn't. Christ has been sacrificed one time to believe that the bread in the, in, in the, in the cup change to his actual flesh and blood is to say there's a perpetual sacrificing of Jesus. That's not what we believe at all. Jesus is risen and he's bodily at the right hand of the father, but we participate in who he is and what he's done spiritually. And at communion, when it's truly done by faith, our union, you can say, goes to the next level because there's a sense in which our spirits are actually being lifted up and present with Christ himself. That has been the traditional reformed understanding that we are spiritually before Christ at the table, communing with him. And so that's why when we hold the bread and we hold the cup, we're remembering his sacrifice is our sacrifice. His victory is our victory. We're united to him at the table. It deepens our understanding of our union with Christ. And here's the thing, because we are a body, when we are united to Christ in the Lord's Supper, we are also united to one another. And so each week we get to meet with Jesus and he nourishes our faith. And so our union with Christ is deepened through the sacraments. So let me go to this final point. Let me say this. Whenever we go through scripture, whenever you read your Bible, whenever you're studying, you need to ask yourself a really, really important question. One of the most important questions you can ask yourself, and it's only two words. So what? So what? Jesus died for my sins. So what? Why does that matter? If you can't take the truth that God is proclaiming through his word, and personalize what it means to you and what it demands of you, then you need to keep studying. You need to keep asking the spirit of God to open your eyes, open your heart, open your ears. Because if we can't answer the so what question, we haven't given ourselves to what God has has put before us. So what does it mean? Well, let me put it this way. If the doctrine we live Uh, If the doctrine we learn only lives in our heads, but never takes residence in our hearts, we haven't really learned it. So I want to offer just some points on why this whole union with Christ matters. Some really, I mean, we've been doing that, but let me drill down now to some really personal ways. Union with Christ means that you are righteous or justified in Christ. Union with Christ means you're righteous or justified with Christ. Listen to that beautiful promise found in Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Condemnation, right? That refers to, it's a legal term. It means you're guilty. The opposite of condemnation here would be justified, not guilty. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Because you are united to Christ, you are justified, righteous in Christ. So on those days where sin has just wrapped, wrapped you up like, a, like an anaconda snake choking the life out of you and you think this is it, remember, no, you're believing a lie. That's an imaginary, that's an imaginary snake wrapping you up because you're already justified. You're already declared righteous. You are not condemned because you are united to Christ. Which brings us to a second beautiful truth. Union with Christ means that you are a new creation. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. You're new. You are a new creation, passed away. You're not updated. You're not remodeled. You're new. You're something entirely different. You've been recreated in his image. So often we forget that powerful truth and instead we keep looking backwards in time, believing that who we were is who we always will be. And we allow sin and Satan to trip us up with guilt and shame of who we were, thinking that's who we are and who we always will be. But the reality is we are a new creation in Christ. And so I love this quote by John Newton, right? We know him as the one who wrote Amazing Grace, but he was a captain of a slave ship. Bodies being thrown overboard, devoured by sharks, packed inside. I mean, just think about the things this man saw, and then the Lord saves him. And the guilt and shame that could have plagued, and to some degree probably did at times plague John Newton. But look at what he said. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Christ gets a hold of us, unites us to himself, and we are new creations. We don't forget who we were. We don't forget the things we did. We don't forget the things we desired and thought, but it's not who we are. It's not who we are. And, the, and nor should we forget who we were in all those things. But let, the, let us remember them in a way that magnifies the power of Christ in delivering us from that. Look back on that wretchedness, not because it, it describes who you are, not because you believe that's who you are. Look back on that and say, look how powerful and mighty my Lord is, that he grabbed me from that and brought me here and made me new. Make much of Christ in that. Next, union with Christ also means that you are complete. You are complete. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. And in him you have been filled. 
we've been talking about this, but in Christ, you lack nothing at all. You've been united to Jesus, who is now your righteousness, your wisdom, your knowledge, your truth. He's everything. We have all that we need to grow in righteousness and in spiritual maturity in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You are complete. You are filled. You lack nothing. There's nothing the world can offer you that you lack. You are filled and complete in him. The source of all that is good and righteous. Union with Christ also means that you've been made a child of God through adoption. Union with Christ means that you are made a child of God through adoption. John 17, verse 23. John 17, Jesus' prayer in the garden, high priestly prayer. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. That first part, I in them and you in me. And first John 3 1. See how great a love the Father has given us that we would be called children of God. And we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Union with Christ is your adoption papers. You are a child of God. And we said this earlier, not everybody's a child of God, but you are. By, by grace, through faith, you've trusted in Christ and you've been made his. Think about this. Imagine yourself as a poor orphan on the streets. You have nothing. You're destitute and you are made a child of God. And that picture there is still too kind. Because we weren't destitute orphans. We were wicked rebels. And yet he makes us his own. He makes us his children. When we are united to Christ, we are united to the family of God. We are united to the Godhead. Lastly, union with Christ means that you are no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. This is where we need to be really careful. We can get so dejected, so burdened with our sin that we, we begin to believe and even say things like, I just can't help it. I'm stuck here. What do you, I'm just, I'm stuck. No, 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 no. You're not stuck. You're not a victim. You're not a prisoner. You're not a slave. You have been freed from the power and penalty of sin. Doesn't mean you won't sin, but it just means that there's no shackles holding you there. Whereas before you sinned out of necessity, now you sin out of choice. I would encourage you to read all of Romans chapter 6 to understand that. You sin because you want to. You don't sin because you have to. You're not a slave to sin. I'm going to highlight a couple of verses in chapter 6. First, verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, 
that our old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been justified from sin. Verse 11, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that when you go on presenting yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, your slaves are the one whom you obey, either sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were given over. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You're freed from sin. And lastly, verse 22. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you have your benefit leading to sanctification and the end eternal life. Union with Christ means you're not a slave to sin. You've been freed from that. And you've been enslaved to Christ. You've been enslaved to the one in all who truth, beauty, love, goodness, grace, mercy, wisdom, knowledge are in. And so we looked at a lot of passages today. We've looked at a, a big picture of what union with Christ means. We've seen how our union with Christ is a covenantal relationship. We've seen how our union with Christ was from eternity past. Our union with Christ was at the cross and in his resurrection. How our union with Christ is, is maintained by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. How our union with Christ is received by faith. We've seen ways and why our union with Christ matters so much, but I've not actually defined union with Christ. Uh, and that was intentionally because before putting a definite, a little ribbon, a little bow of definition out on it, I wanted us to just be overwhelmed by what this is, because you, this would be a series of series. There's so much there. So before I want to just before putting a definitional ribbon on it to just have us feel the, the weight of that glory. And so now I, I will give a definition to help. This is what union with this is how I define union with Christ. Our being united with Christ by the working of the Holy Spirit through faith, whereby we receive enjoy and partake of all of Jesus's saving benefits. I'm going to repeat that one slowly. Union with Christ is our being united with Christ, comma, by the working of the Holy Spirit through faith, whereby we receive enjoy and partake of all of Jesus's saving benefits. This is why I said I would email all of you these notes. There's a lot. Um, For us to have this understanding is going to make our study, especially of chapter two, a lot richer because we'll have that in our heads and in our hearts. Because every time I came across a union with Christ passage, I couldn't go through all this. We'd never get anywhere. Um, 
but I wanted to just share that with you. I really wanted you guys to understand it. So when you see these in Christ, in him, through him, and when you're doing your, when you're in the word, I want these truths to be there in your heart to just start going off like a fire alarm. Oh, in him, I have the redemption of sins because I'm united to him truly. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him, I have sanctification. It is probably one of the most glorious truths we can know. We should spend our lives studying the character of God, studying the gospel, and right behind it, studying what it means to be united with Christ now and through all eternity. Uh, so with that, I will have a close us in prayer. And then if anybody has questions, you can ask them out loud or you can write them in the chat bar. I'll do my best to answer them since we have a little bit of time and freedom to do that today. Father, we come before you now in the matchless name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is your son in whom you are well pleased. Even thinking about that, Lord, at his baptism, behold my son in whom I am well pleased. And yet we are united to him. That means in Christ, you are well pleased in us. You're well pleased in us if we are in his Christ. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that you have created this amazing plan of redemption in such a way that we are united to the glorious one. May we understand why this matters so much. May we see the great beauty, benefit, and privilege it is. And may we live out this union with Christ in a way that shows that we prize him above all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.